As Jesus walked towards his death, a woman in the crowd was moved with compassion at the sight of his suffering. She offered him her veil to wipe the sweat and blood from his face, and he returned it to her with the image of his face miraculously imprinted on the fabric. A moment is pictured in art as the woman, St. Veronica, holding her veil open between her hands. On it, the face of Jesus in his crown of thorns is captured, sometimes rendered in full color, but sometimes just red on white, blood soaked into fabric. This is Veronica's sole contribution to Christianity. She saw a man in pain, and she offered up what help she could. In return, her veil was given back to her, either soaked with sweat or depicting a miracle. The veil is considered to be one of the holy faces of Christ made without human hands, akin to the Shroud of Turin, the Mandelian, or the Sudarium of Oviedo, a miraculous image of Jesus related directly to his body, and consequently a phenomenally important relic to the church. It has been forged many times, but the original is purportedly held within the Vatican and not displayed to the public. I've seen a photo of what is believed to be the Vatican version. It's a black stain on a piece of fabric, vaguely in the shape of a human head. Despite questions about its authenticity, the veil has been credited with quenching thirst, healing the blind, and raising the dead. As I look through images of Veronica, her veil begins to feel more like a flag to me, something to be held aloft. She holds it and says, here is evidence that someone has hurt. But here also is evidence that someone helped. Veronica's story is not included within biblical canon. In fact, the closest we really get is an inverse of the story. A woman who had bled for 12 years approaches Jesus in a crowd. She believes that if she touches just his clothing, she will be healed. It works. She touches his garments and is healed, and Jesus feels the power leave his body. He stops and asks the crowd, who has touched my clothes? It's an absurd question to ask in a crowd, but I like the subtext of this story. A woman approached a potential for healing and took it without asking first. She just touched a healer and she was healed, but not with his consent. Still, he does not rebuke her for the indiscretion. She is healed and she lives. The day I finished graduate school, I gave a presentation on the Mexican artist Teresa Margoyes. It is a brutal lecture given very early in the morning, and in it I have to show image after image of mutilated bodies and their remnants, including a picture of Margoyes holding the badly burned corpse of a 12-year-old girl in, in the morgue. It's an impossibly dark Pieta with Margoyes still in her white lab coat and black rubber gloves. I tell my classmates about several installations of Morgoya's work in which visitors were required to sign waivers freeing the gallery of any repercussions for emotion or psychological damage done to them, and I begin to wonder if I should maybe have done the same thing that day. Morgoya's work is hard to look at. Even when the work specifically removes the body, her practice focuses unflinchingly on the way dead bodies exist socially and politically, and the ways in which they can be seen and unseen intentionally. Marguez is a former morgue attendant in Mexico City and a co-founder of the artist collective Semifo, or Forensic Medical Service in English. And her artist practice deals with the materiality of death, the remains of death, the texture, the smells. Her work focuses on narco-violence and governmental neglect, and it often highlights the way bodies are allowed to disappear into the system. Their murders overlook totally and institutionally. 
and what the social and economic costs of those murders can be. In her essay, Teresa Marguez's Crime Scene Aesthetics, the criminologist Rebecca Scott Bray writes that Marguez's work highlights that people who die homeless, by violence, unidentified or unclaimed, do not simply arrive at the moment of death. Death has a social life and is contextualized by social existence. Moreover, this social life is not eradicated in the aftermath. It influences the life of a corpse, what happens to a dead body. I like here the word necropolitics, a term coined by the Cameroonian political theorist Achille Mbembe that refers to the social and political structures that determine which citizens are allowed to live and which citizens can either with ease or purpose be put to death. It feels close to the term necrovoyeurism to me. The desire to look at the bodies of the dead. What bodies are we allowed to look at? When is it considered acceptable to look at the dead? And when is it exploitative? Whose bodies are we allowed to see? The installation that required the emotional damage waiver, vaporization, was a room filled with dense fog through which viewers could walk. The substance of that fog, run through huge commercial fog machines, was sanitized water that had been used to clean bodies in the Mexico City morgue after dissection. To interact with vaporization, a viewer does not directly touch the evidence that people have died anonymously or violently. Instead, the information directly interacts with their bodies. To see vaporization is to breathe it in, to let that knowledge enter you. At the morgue, that water would run into the sewers and into the water and into the air and into the rain and into the soil. The presence of the anonymous dead is unseen but totally inescapable for us. The boundaries between our body and the outside environment cannot protect us. The dead touch us in every way, here even though we cannot see them. The story of Christ highlights the presence of the dead body, highlights the pain of a man living in a body, but the body is wrapped in shrouds and then resurrected and then swept away to heaven. Veronica holds her veil aloft and testifies the Son of God has hurt and bled. The Shroud of Turin testifies here as a man who hurt and bled and then died, but the body is not there. The body is secreted away from us. For me, the body is the most complicated facet of a saint's story. For instance, there are tales of the incorruptibles, saints so pure, so divine, that their bodies don't rot in death. They stay preserved, perfect, and sweet-smelling for eternity. The sin of the world has not penetrated them. The church tells us that they are not mummies. Their skin is soft and their limbs are pliable. They sleep, but also they are dead. These bodies are preserved in wax, so their faces remain impassive. Their eyes remain closed. Still, some remain incorrupt unevenly. Just a few organs will remain as they did in life while the others decay. Many of the incorruptibles lay in glass coffins, displayed for the masses, ready for prayers. And I think, what difference would it make if a saint decomposed, if their flesh sloughed off their bodies after death rather than before it? What then? We so want our saints to bleed and to hurt and to die, but we need their bodies to remain untouchable. Their rot would be evidence of spiritual rot. But rotting is what a body does. 
this absence of decay signifies holiness. The absence of Christ's body signifies his return to heaven. The body bleeds and bruises and breaks, but then it disappears from our view. And this absence of the body is an abyss. In 2009, Teresa Marguez and the curator Cuauhtémoc Medina were chosen to represent Mexico in the 53rd Venice Biennale. Inside the Palazzo Rota Ivanchik, a seven-piece installation called What Else Could We Talk About, subtly intervened the space through textiles, sculpture, and performance. In several of the rooms, men and women were seen washing the floor with a mixture of blood and water, a substance that filled the empty rooms with a metallic tang, and over the course of the Biennale built a residue of blood stratified, infinitesimal, cumulative data of the dead. These men and women were not performance artists. They were the relatives of the dead, of the murdered and the missing, here to perform a ritual of both resistance and remembrance. The work stood huge and empty as memorial. What else could we talk about? Is a country best represented this way, with blood, the only physical remains of violence that has been allowed or directly perpetrated by the state. There are no physical bodies of the dead in this space, but their specter remains. Their blood remains. Their relatives remain here as witness. In another room, a piece called Sangra Recuperata hung on the walls. Marguez used several large bolts of fabric to scrub the sites of unmarked graves in northern Mexico, soaking up the blood and the dirt where people had been left for dead. The fabric had then been dried, but rehumidified for presentation in Venice. The work existed like huge abstract paintings, but blood and water dripped out of them, collecting in pools on the floor. Outside the pavilion hung another piece of fabric, a flag rusted through with human blood. It says, Here is evidence that someone has been killed. The body is not present. The body has been taken away. The body has been hidden from view because it shows a story we do not want to hear. Jesus asks here, who has touched my clothes? A person has been killed and society has allowed it. The government has allowed it and they have allowed this person to disappear forever. But this flag says, they did not disappear. Here is evidence that a person is hurt. Here is evidence that someone cared. This is All Miracles Are Strange. My name is Liz Hamilton, and you can find me on social media under my name, and you can contact me at allmiraclesarestrange at gmail.com. My theme song is an edited version of an 1888 wax cylinder recording of Handel's Israel in Egypt, one of the earliest known recordings of the human voice. If you'd like to read notes and see images from All Miracles Are Strange or see a list of the books and essays I've referenced, you can sign up for my Substack. If you'd like to support me in my work, including both this podcast and my studio practice, you can find me on Patreon. Thank you.